First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Did you ever consider yourself an illegal alien? here in the United States of America? Well, consider this for a moment. As Christians, we are identified as sojourners and pilgrims. The Greek word perioikos means those that are not living in their own country. And the Greek word peripetimos means foreigners dwelling alongside the citizens in order to do business for their king. As Christians, we are identified in the Bible as those not living in our own country, foreigners, living alongside the local citizens in order to do business for our king. Now here's my point. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We live here on planet earth as foreigners. And while it's not illegal to be a Christian here, we're moving very quickly in that direction. There's an organized effort to rid American society of Christian influence, to prohibit us from doing business for our king. Therefore, there's a very strong possibility that we could be classified as illegal aliens in the near future. There's already been an effort on the part of some liberal legislators to identify Christians as terrorists, even to put them on the no-fly list. So you see we could well be identified as illegal aliens here in the United States of America. Uh, There is a fly list that we're on, and uh, that's yet to come. In our previous study, I stated, in order to understand what's going on in our world today, we must understand what has gone on in our world in the past. What has gone on in our world in the past is the reason for what God is going to be doing with our world in the future. Therefore, the reason for what is going on in our world today, thereby providing understanding as to what we are to do and how we are to respond to what's going on in our world around us. So we examine the past as it's recorded in God's Word. And then we examine the future as it's revealed in God's Word. Understanding the past reveal what God is going to do in the future, which in turn explains what is going on today and what our role should be in His plan. We concluded that study with the realization that we are sojourners, people not living in their own country, but living alongside of the locals in order to do business for their king. But while we're citizens of the kingdom of God, we're also in a dual citizenship of this nation, a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
We, the people of the government, and we elect representatives to enforce our constitution and implement the governmental structure to maintain order in our society. Well, that's what it says on paper. Therefore, it's important for us to identify the biblical balance between these two citizenships that on one hand prevents us from attempting to legislate Christianity, but on the other hand motivates us to reverse the direction of passively standing by while the morality of our society is dictated by a small minority of perverts. We cannot force people to become Christians, but as the Founding Fathers insisted, we can work to maintain the biblical principles upon which this nation was founded. Our series here, Providing an Understanding of Current Events and Light of Bible Prophecy, is designed to help us understand the clarity of the role of Christianity in the establishment of this republic. Our study will be dispensational in its approach that rightly divides the word of truth and avoids the mistake made by covenant theology which attempts to force the millennial age into existence. The dispensational approach will view Holy Scriptures in a framework of various administrations in different periods of time and will take a literal, grammatical, and historical approach to the interpretation and the application of God's Word. Thus, we'll explore the eschatological revelation from a literal, non-metaphorical approach in order to establish our role in the plan of God. A covenant or reformed theology generally takes a post-millennial or an amillennial eschatological approach. The post-millennial view holds that society will get better and better until the heaven-like characteristics of the millennial kingdom pave the way for the second advent of Christ. The amillennial view holds that the prophecies related to the millennium are not to be taken literal, but are symbolic. Thus, there's no literal thousand-year reign. Christ's return will simply result in the end of the world and the beginning of eternity itself. Dispensational theology, on the other hand, takes a literal approach to Bible prophecy and sees God ushering in the changes and the characteristics of that age with the literal return and presence of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, the removal of the curse from the earth, and the thousand-year reign of Christ. The distinctions between Reformed and dispensational views motivate some of the Reformed view to become political activists in an attempt to force our society to develop the characteristics which are described for that age. While some dispensationalists are motivated to distance themselves from any involvement in political or legislative affairs. There's a biblical balance by which we as church age believers are to be guided. Our study will attempt to define that balance and motivate believers to live out those biblical changes. The signers of the Declaration of Independence and the Convention envisioned a nation of free men based on a belief in God, finding redemption in His Son, 
and guided by his word. While respecting the rights of the individual's personal beliefs, the government was to be based on the principles and the morality of the Bible. They stated that the constitutional republic they formed required a belief in God and adherence to biblical principles in order to survive. And because a majority is uncomfortable, no, it's a minority that is uncomfortable with those biblical principles, then the courts have allowed a minority to rule. Educators have successfully rewritten history, denying the founders' original intent, and they have denied the biblical support needed to maintain their constitutional republic that they passed on to us now for perpetuity. The perpetuity of our society is in serious jeopardy. Judges have assumed the role of legislators and usurped the authority of the people in restructuring society so that the minority now rules instead of the majority. As a result of court actions and an atmosphere of antagonism, Christians are concerned, and rightly so. However, there is a fundamental flaw in our attempt to right the ills of our nation. We attempt to Christianize a pagan society by political activism and legal proceedings. Men cannot be changed by legislation. They can only be changed by regeneration. This destruction of the foundation supporting our national identity is directly due to the removal of God and the Bible from society and government. Our nation was not changed when we added the words under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. The only visible result of that action was that people quit saying the pledge. Not only was the God of our fathers shunned, but a blow was dealt to patriotism when school boards across the nation discontinued that patriotic practice and a new type of citizen was developed flower children, and flag burners who focused on what can my nation do for me rather than what can I do for my nation. The statement in God We Trust on our currency was designed to present to the world our doxology of praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yes, our founding fathers wanted to remind everyone who handled our currency that our success as a nation was due to our trust in God and not the mammon upon which that inscription was printed. When the Ten Commandments were removed by court order from a courthouse, Christians protested, but this is a Christian nation. Yet we have allowed God to be expelled from school. He's been barred by the barristers. His existence is denied by the evolutionists. He has been repulsed by our alternative lifestyles. His word has been ignored. His commands have been disobeyed. Even then, President Obama declared, America is not a Christian nation. Our pledge declares that we are one nation under God, and we still have the audacity to print on our currency in God we trust. But there's an increasing effort on the part of legislators judicial officials, and educators to eradicate the Christian roots of this nation 
and make it a secular society. Their effectiveness is evident in every newscast and every newspaper. It's time that Christians woke up to reality and stopped participating in this mockery of God. We are no longer governed as a Christian nation, nor is it a nation operating even under Christian influence. Oh, there does remain a Christian witness, but the philosophy and behavior of society dictated by a small minority is rotten to the core. Yes, it's a small minority that dictates the moral standards <clears throat> of society and its public religious practices. Once the Supreme Court ruled, if a member of a minority is offended by a moral standard or religious action by the majority, and such action caused him to feel like an outsider, then that action is unconstitutional. That small minority has set the standard for society and determined its public religious practices, and the majority has remained silent, allowing judges to become legislators and rewrite the Constitution under the guise of separation of church and state, denying the original intent of the founding fathers. Liberal educators, with their own agenda, have revised history and Christians have been silenced by the threat of being stripped of their tax exemption and have been intimidated to stay out of the public arena. Let's stop pretending and focus on the truth in order to accomplish our task as Christians, as sojourners. God has placed us in this society as his representative, and we need to get about doing his business among the locals. The epistle of 1 Peter reveals that at the moment of salvation, a believer becomes a citizen of the kingdom of God, and as a result, he becomes a foreigner in his own country. He's prescribed as a sojourner, a foreigner, living alongside the local residents in order to do business for his kingdom. You understand what God's saying? We're foreigners here. Foreigners with voting rights that we need to exercise. Foreigners with freedom to participate in the political arena, but foreigners. Foreigners with a commission, therefore sojourners. We're here to do the work of the kingdom. Christians have dual citizenship and responsibility in both uh, entities. Sojourners, yet a role and responsibility to the country in which we live. We must understand the biblically identified roles and responsibilities of each and be found submissive to God in each of them. If the apostles had directed their efforts at the elimination of the abuses of the Roman Empire, Christianity would have died in that first century. Paul took advantage of his rights that were afforded him by his Roman citizenship But instead of trying to make the Roman Empire Christian by legislation, he attempted to establish Christians in the Roman Empire who would, by their influence and example, turn the world right side up. We do need to vote. We do need to support political candidates who share our Christian beliefs. But we should never become distracted from our purpose. 
We are not commissioned to make America part of the kingdom of God. We are in America to do business for our king, assisting others in becoming members of the kingdom of God, changing their citizenship, and thus influencing society as a whole. God has gifted each of us with specific ability. He provides all our needs. He enables us by His Spirit. He has placed us here to do His business. He gave our founding fathers the genius to construct a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But that government was dependent by the forefathers' own admission on a continuing belief in God and regeneration through His Son, Jesus Christ. Separation of church and state was never mentioned in the Constitution that they developed. The term was first used in defense of religious freedom and was interpreted to mean that Congress will not establish a denomination. It had nothing to do with keeping God out of politics or the public arena. We'll have that point driven home as we view the video presentations of historical documentations from time to time. Liberal judges are attempting to silence our voice, but we must never allow them to stop our influence as we model the Christian life and do our king's business. We must be careful that our voting privilege and the voice in the political arena does not detract us from the fact that we are indeed sojourners. Foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the citizens of this world in order to do the business of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We need to understand our, the establishment of our purpose then among Americans. So looking again at what Peter wrote, he said, but you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they behold glorify God in the day of visitation. First Peter 2.10 then instructs us concerning our behavior as we are to live out our role as strangers and pilgrims, sojourners. He establishes the foundation of that behavior in verse 11, and then provides specific detail in the verses that follow. The foundation is that we are to keep ourselves from those lusts which are maintained in the natural man. We are no longer just natural men. We are spiritual Creatures. We have become a new race. We have a different citizenship and we're not to emulate those of the world alongside of where we dwell. In second Peter, verse 11 then Paul says, 
dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Peter uses two terms, strangers and pilgrims. The word strangers is translated from the Greek word paroikos, and it means those not living in their own country. The word pilgrims is from the word parapidimos, and it means foreigners living us alongside citizens in order to do business for their king. So Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. There are three basic areas of fleshly lust that are identified for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, which reads this way. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We must note that the phrase fleshly lust is not limited to lust of the flesh, sensuality or satisfaction of the senses. This word fleshly identifies the source and it refers to all three areas of lust, sensuality, materialism, and ego. We're commanded to abstain from all three. These are the things that nullify our witness and destroy churches and leave the citizens of this world without a proper representation of the kingdom of God. The phrase, lust of the flesh, refers to sensuality, which is the satisfaction of the senses, and it covers a broad spectrum of sins. It's related to touch, taste, smell, see, and hear. We're to abstain from those things. The lust, then, of the eyes relates to materialism. It's the inappropriate ordering of our priorities with a focus on the accumulation and control of of material assets or things. We're to abstain from making material things our priority. The pride of life relates to ego. It's the elevation of oneself and the pursuit of approbation and praise or power and control. We're to abstain from the idea of an over-inflated self-worth. So, an expanded translation of verse 11 reads this way. You who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, I continually call you to my position as those who are not living in their own country and as foreigners dwelling alongside citizens in order to do business. Keep on making it your purpose to participate in keeping yourself from strong fleshly desires which continually pitch themselves in strategic battle array against the norms and the standards of the soul. Let's look then at the doctrine of sojourners. There's a number of titles that are used to describe the role of believers during the church age. We're described as servants, as stewards, as bond slaves, as ambassadors, as co-laborers, as husbandmen. We are described also as members of the body of Christ, the elect, the chosen, brothers and sisters. But the title that 
Peter introduces in our study today is that of a sojourner. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect, according to the knowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. The doctrine of the sojourner deals with the fact that the believer has had a change of citizenship. He is now a sojourner. An individual who resides in a foreign country alongside the citizens to do business. Ephesians 2.19, Philippians 3.20 document that. The reference here is to the believer that dwells on the earth as a foreign ambassador for Christ, identified in 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. When we find these two words joined together, elektios and parapidimos, we are to understand them as a reference to our role in ministry and service to our God and to identify our style and orientation to life. The doctrine of election indicates that we are the chosen one in Christ and though we have are in him because we are in him, we are called the elect of God. The doctrine of the sojourner teaches that we are strangers here on planet earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we have an appointment to service here. We are to recognize our purpose for sojourning. The identification of our spiritual gifts will direct us in that manner. And then we are to commit ourselves to that purpose as our single objective to living life. Most believers live their lives without ever understanding why they're here. For many people, life is a matter of trying to get from the cradle to the grave with the greatest happiness, the least amount of pain, and the most toys. For others, there's a sincere attempt to make some contribution to society and leave a heritage. However, for the believer, there must be the recognition of his or her spiritual purpose for remaining here after establishing citizenship in heaven. And that's summarized in four basic statements. Number one, every believer has a unique ministry. Each of us is uniquely crafted by God. We have distinct personalities, looks, and identity traits. We form part of the body of Christ, and we are we have a specific role in our representation of the kingdom of God. Every believer has a unique ministry. Secondly, spiritual gifts determine our ministry. There are nine spiritual gifts that are provided throughout the church age to enable believers to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The combination of gifts and the individual measure of each gift results in maintaining our uniqueness in ministry as sojourners. Number three, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. The Levitical system has been replaced in the church age. 
God no longer requires burnt offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings, trespass offerings, or sin offerings. Today, God desires our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. That presentation is our priestly responsibility day by day. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Fourth, our priorities are to be based on our personal ministry. Where we live, what we own, what we do, where we go, is to be directed by the personal ministry to which God has called us. Contrary to the popular phrase, it's not all about me. It's all about Him and our representation of Him among the heathen of the world. In our text in 1 Peter 2.11, there's a double emphasis. We are not living in our own country and... As foreigners, we're living alongside the citizens of the world doing business for our king. In order to do that, we must abstain from these strong fleshly desires that are at war with the norms and standards of our soul. We're to maintain a pattern of behavior that is representative of our citizenship of the kingdom to which we belong. The foundation of the sojourner is established in verse 11, but in verse 12, we're given the details of behavior. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's look a little closer having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Wherever we live, we're to make it a matter of principle to maintain a behavior pattern that is compatible with our purpose for living here on earth after salvation, that purpose to do business for the kingdom of God among those who are not citizens of the kingdom of God. The word conversation refers to our manner of life. Having your manner of life honest among the Gentiles. The purpose of this behavior is stated in the next phrase. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Unbelievers frequently refer to Christians as evildoers. In the early church, Christians were seen as an extremist group and identified as evildoers. Today, unbelievers observe the behavior of Christians and frequently identify them as extremists that want to impose their morality on others. The legalistic Jews often interpreted the liberty of Christians under a the doctrine of grace as evil. A little further down in this epistle, Peter warns against the danger of using our liberty and our security in Christ as a cloak of maliciousness. So Peter tells us that if we maintain the proper behavior before those unbelievers, that while they now speak against us as evildoers, as a result of our proper behavior, they have the potential for becoming believers themselves. Look at this next phrase. They may glorify 
God. Doxasosin is the word, that they may have the potential for glorifying God. Yes, yeah, the subjunctive mood. Our behavior does not guarantee that they will glorify God, but at least observing us, they have the potential for that. So if we as believers maintain the proper behavior, a behavior suitable to our purpose for being here, others, while bad-mouthing us now, are given through our witness the potential that they too can glorify God later. By your good works. The Greek text should be translated by the good works observing. By your works they observe. They have this potential in the day of visitation. There's coming a day of visitation. Uh, that word uh, uh, episcopace means a formal inspection held in order for them to give an accounting. So there is going to be that formal inspection that's going to be held in order for them to give an accounting, it, ha- it can happen at the judgment seat of Christ for all believers where there's no condemnation, or it can happen at the great white throne where it's simply a sentencing because they have rejected Christ. But our behavior, living alongside them, provides them with the potential to be able to glorify God when they are held to account. An expanded translation of verse 12 says, constantly make it your principle to continually maintain your manner of life characteristic of that which is well adapted to its purpose and circumstance in the presence of the ethnics, in order that in the very thing they presently continue to speak against you as an evildoer, as a result of constantly observing you perform the task for which you have been employed in a manner that is well adapted to its purpose, they may have the potential for glorifying God in a day of formal inspection held in order for them to give an accounting. So what in the world is going on? understand what is going on in our world today, we must understand, as we said in the beginning, what has gone on in our world in the past. What has gone on in our world in the past is the reason for what God is going to do with our world in the future, thus the reason for what's going on in the world today, thereby providing understanding as to what we are to do and how we are to respond to what's going on in the world. So we've summarized the past and the future as it's revealed in God's Word. Those summaries have provided us the information we need to understand what we are to do today and how we are to respond to what's going on. We've seen that church-age believers are sojourners in a world estranged from its Creator, We are foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to do business for our king. That sounds simple enough, but it's complicated by the fact that we have a double citizenship and responsibilities related to government in this foreign land in which we live. 
So in the studies ahead, we're going to attempt to find the biblical balance and understand what we are to do concerning both realms. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember Peter's words, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. God bless.